Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Content rated by the ESRB. And my adulthood friend Mindy Booth. Through vigilance and strength, we create peace. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcements! Announcements! Before we begin this current episode of the show, we'd like to remind any returning listeners or declare for our new listeners that we do indeed have a Patreon page for those of you wishing to support the podcast even more than you are by just listening to us witter on for hours on end. Head over to patreon.com slash our three cents and you can find all manner of amazing bonus perks in exchange for a variety of very reasonably priced tiers of pledging. There are deleted scenes and outtakes, access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel, custom artwork, and the main thing you'll get is, is access to a whole suite of full bonus episodes. There's there's a fantastic selection up there already, including our most recent one, which was a special recorded with legendary vocalist TJ Davis, whose voice has appeared on soundtracks such as Sonic R and Metropolis Street Racer. That is a bonus episode that is exclusively available to you if you pledge. You know what? I, we played a trailer for it last week. Can we? Can we? Can we? Can we roll that again? Can we? Yeah, we're going to roll that again. <laughs> Working with Sega in the late nineties, that was like the biggest Sega ever really got. What was it like being brought into the industry by Richard Jakes, the composer? Richard said, "I don't know where this is going to go, but I've been asked to do these songs. I've got a demo here of a song called Supersonic Racing." <laughs> and I listened, and I thought, "Wow, that's that's." fast <laughs> i started it up and my wife came downstairs and said are you just running <laughs> immediate thoughts sonic art is hilarious <laughs> so there we go if you don't want to miss out on hearing that full episode as well as loads of others head over to the patreon site and pledge away so this week we have Minty's sixth favourite video game of all time, hot choo, on the heels of Chris's rhythm-tastic Rock Band 3. We have what is sure to be another RPG. <laughs> what is sure to be a game. <laughs> so before we dive into what Minty's game is, and it, and it will be a game, we need to return to the quiz. And our, our, I can't wait for this round, you guys... We're going to certainly be here and take part in it. The score, as we left it last week, was 60 points to Minty and 57 points to Chris. So I can do it. Well, yeah, you can, you can. And do you you know what? There are potential 12 points up for grabs today. Oh my goodness. I'll be honest, you're not going to get most of them, but they are there. (laughs) So the name of this round is Midway Games. Okay. Now, don't panic, because this doesn't have a lot to do with the titular games company, although I have been on a massive Mortal Kombat bender in this past week, but I'll tell you about that in a bit. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a fun allusion to the rules of this round, and it is an original round. It is unlike Ooh. anything seen Ooh. on Richard Osman's House of Games. What I've done for this round is I've collated a list of all the games released in Europe for some specific consoles. And what I've done is I've then arranged all of those games into alphabetical order. And what you're going to need to do is guess what the midway game is on oh, that list. Boy. <laughs> right, Oh, God. Okay. I'm absolutely not expecting you to actually guess it. So there is a point available for who gets closest each time. If, okay. by some sort of miracle, you do get the answer spot on, you will get a bonus two points so if you somehow (laughs) you could get 12 points here because there's four consoles that we're going to go through okay okay Question one. We're starting 16-bit and we're going with the SNES. There are 520 games uh, released in Europe on the SNES. So take a moment to consider what is the 260th game on my list is. 
Um, I'm going to go with Mario Paint. Oh, I'm going to go for Kirby's Dream Land 3. I think the third one was on the SNES. Well, I hate to tell you, neither of you are correct. (laughs) No bonus points. (laughs) Mario Paint is closer to the midway point with a discrepancy of only 58 games between it and... PTO, Pacific Theatre of Operations, which was the 260th game on the well, list. Well done, Same Minty. Operations, Minty. There's a point for Minty. Mm. Strange, yeah, a game beginning with the letter P being the middle game, but I guess that just, you know, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. I think on the SNES, so many games had uh, Super as a prefix Yeah, that the, the back end of the alphabet would be really heavily swayed towards that, I think. Goodness, you're absolutely right. Okay, for a bonus point... How many games uh, have the prefix super? On the SNES. On the SNES. Um, if you get the, the number exactly right, you will get a bonus point. 82. 46. <gasps> oh my goodness, there's 47. Oh, oh no. No. You know what? If it's, if it's all right with Minty, I think Chris deserves a bonus point for that. I think so, yes. yes. Oh my okay, God. there's a bonus point for Chris. Well done. Okay, on to question two. And this is the PlayStation 1. Oh, now, there's a lot of games. There's a lot more games on the PlayStation 1, specifically 1,157 games. Yeah. It's an odd number, so it doesn't divide it in two as neatly. Mm. But I'm looking for the 579th game on my alphabetized list. Okay, I'm going to go for MDK. I'm going to go for Micro Machines. You're both very close. You, you two have only, there's only 23 games between your two, but the point goes to Chris. Oh, yes. Ah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're only 36 games out from Lemmings 3D. Oh. Ah. Yeah, which was the uh, the middle game there. Okay, so console number three. Obviously, we've done 16. We've done 32. What's next? It's the N64 with with a nice little 243 game library. (laughs) So let's see if you can tell me what the 122nd game is on my alphabetized list of N64 games. I'm going to go for Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero. I'm going to go for uh, Mischief Makers. You're both very close. One of you is five out. Oh, whoa. The other is nine out. The correct answer is Mystical Ninja starring Goman. So the point goes to Minty, who is closest with Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero. Oh, so close. Wow. Two all. So who's going to win this round with this console? And we are going for the PlayStation 2. We're going for the PlayStation 2, which had 2,197 games. games. (laughs) Okay. What is the... 1099th <laughs> game on my alphabetized list of PlayStation 2 games. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this is a total stab in the dark. Operation Winback. Okay, I'm going to say. Uh, yeah. hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is. 166 places out from the middle. And where is Operation Winback? <laughs> Operation Winback, it's only out by 148. The point goes to Chris. Yes! Wow. <laughs> 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 Chris has clawed a point back. Congratulations, Chris. You are now on 60 points and Minty is on 62. Oh, I'm, I'm taking it back a week at a time. Just little little bits of progress. <laughs> progress through attrition. So what have we been playing this week? Let's, let's hand over to Minty. And uh, I know you'd started playing Pokemon Snap last week. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping you played a bit more of it because I'm dying to discuss it with you. I have, yes, and uh, I'll, I'll temper myself for our, our third cohort, but <laughs> oh, it's really nice, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yeah, animals that are a bit crazy, having crazy fun times in their crazy habitat. <laughs> just excellent. Like I said last week, it, it's such a joyous game. Like, just the joy of discovering new things, just like mm. new Pokemon, new areas, is unlike anything I've played before, and it wouldn't work if they weren't capitalising on my personal love of a franchise for the last 25 years or whatever. Mm. It's it's extraordinary. It's just wonderful. It has given me exactly what I wanted from a Pokemon Snap sequel. It's wondrous. That's what it is. It feels wondrous. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, one of my favourite things about it is 
but when it, when it comes to things like score chasing mm. and trying to get the best photos of each Pokemon, there is there, there is the danger that it it could become stagnant. Mm. So I think the the expedition level system. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I think that's a really mm. neat addition. It's very clever. Yeah, very very good. Like maybe you'll take a photo of a new Pokemon. Oh, that's great. That gives you another five thousand points, and that takes you up to level two which gives you a whole load of new Pokemon to photograph, which then give you more points. And then you can get up to a higher level and take even more photos of more Pokemon. It's just, it's just relentless. And each level is just so packed to the brim with life. It's, mm. it's really wonderful. And adding into that, that's sort of those layers of exploration and new things to discover, adding onto that things like... Um, uh, the fluff fruit, uh, the, the the old uh, Illumina orbs, Illumia orbs, but all these things, they, it's it's there's there's a near, I'm not going to say near infinite, that's that's too hyperbolic, but there is just so much to do in each level, and like a course lasts what three or four minutes. Mm. Say so you've got twenty Pokemon in each level. Go through each one, throw each one a, a fluff fruit, mm. throw an orb at them, throw a fruit and an orb. At the same time, throw an orb when it's near a different Pokemon after it's walked for about five paces. Like there is that sense that it's it it is just a a nice little biome each level. Yeah. It's not like the, the the first game, which was of course marred by the fact that it was on the N sixty four. So there was only so much they could do with it. So it was just oh, take photo of this thing, throw Apple near it, maybe it will go on the surfboard, and that's about it. It's much less, I think, about puzzle solving to get a decent mm, photo yeah. and just. Like being like, fuck it, let's throw an apple, see what happens. You know, <laughs> yeah. these things are alive. They're not just polygon creatures. It feels real and yeah. alive and organic. One thing I wanted to ask you too, as the, you know, the Pokemon obsessives that have played every game in the franchise. For me, obviously, I played Pokemon Snap off the back of loving Pokemon Red. I, you know, I, I played Generation One, and then I've essentially not played Pokemon since. Would I still enjoy Pokemon Snap as someone who is just? exploring the mechanics of Pokemon Snap, do you think? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I won't have the same Eureka where it's like, oh, that's so-and-so, that's old old Billy Club and whatever. <laughs> like, I, I, won't, I won't have that part. There's still some Pokemon that I saw in Pokemon Snap that I just couldn't remember the names of. But, yeah. like, it's just, it's so delightful watching them, just watching how they behave, that I don't think it matters that, you know, you, you know... The, the full Pokedex entry for that Pokemon and go, oh yeah, because that's what it says in the Pokedex entry for it in, um, you know, in Pokemon Emerald. Yeah. Uh, but only after they patched it or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I compared it to Abzu last week and it feels like you can enjoy it purely on that level. Yeah. It's just a wonderful, just a wonderful activity to do. It's, uh, it's lovely. It's so lovely. It's everything I wanted it to be. That's brilliant. I do need to say one thing before before I, I, I hand the mic over. And my favourite photo, or my favourite set of events that leads up to a photo, a very succinct sentence. Uh, I threw an apple at a fish and spooked it so that it jumped out of the water and got eaten by a bird. Yeah, yeah, that happens. <laughs> and it happens in real life. It's, yeah. it, it's, just, it's just nature. It's nature yeah. as a game, but the animals are more interesting <laughs> and have things like electricity or human hands and all that weird nonsense <laughs> yeah the only only uh, negative i've had from my experience uh with pokemon snap was that i for the first time in my life got an email from nintendo with a code of conduct violation warning <laughs> oh <laughs> what did you post and i thought to myself i thought what because i'd posted a few photos that i'd done with like stickers and some funny comments and stuff and i thought somebody really must have misconstrued them because I, I was, you know, they are they are delightful. They are family friendly. But it turns out what I've done is in, like, you put, you have your username or your name and then you can put like a little sentence underneath. And I'd put in www.r3sense.co.uk <laughs> and you're not allowed to do that because that's uh, that's that's using the using their platform for for marketing uh, a a private project or something like that a private product so uh yeah so i had to take that down oh so i, I just put google r3sense instead <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'll do i used the stickers to make it look like uh, a pokemon wearing a top hat had done a fart that's great yeah, but... <laughs> 
That's about yeah. as bad as I got. You bad boy. <laughs> I, I got one of a uh, of a Charmander dancing joyfully in the foreground, uh, wearing like a little um, pork pie hat and a and like a cane. And then a Charmander in the background, looking really sad, holding an ice cream, which I just found really funny. Mm. <laughs> He's just like, oh, oh, it's all right for some, but I've got an ice cream and I can't eat it because it melts before it gets to my mouth. <laughs> That's how they speak. <laughs> it is, yeah. Famously, yeah. every sentence, yeah, is split up. <laughs> Into three bits. Oh, I'm a Charmander. Oh, oh, when will I get bigger? When will I get wings? Oh. I wish somebody would invent hot cream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to. I can't wait for you to get it, Chris, and we can hear your experiences with it. I'll be really intrigued to hear like what you make of it, given you know sort of what you just said about yeah. how you won't have the same familiarity. And I, I, but like I said, I, I still think you're going to have a fantastic. A fantastic time. I've seen the final credits and I've gone through and made sure I've filled in all of the photo decks. I've seen and photographed all of the Pokemon. I I can't remember what it was like in the original Pokemon Snap, but for every Pokemon in the photo decks, there's over 200. You need to get a one star, two star, three star and a four star photo of them, which will correlate to different things that they'll do. And I haven't, haven't filled all of that in yet because I thought I'll put it down for a bit. And then when I go back to the game, I can sort of have that same sense of of, of discovery that I had the yeah. you know the first time when I try That's and find nice. all the four star yeah. pictures yeah so I'm I, but I can't wait to to do it again it's brilliant and after I sort of finished that and put put that down for a bit to fill the rogue like void in my life uh, my my rogue hole if you will <laughs> I, I decided to pick up another couple of roguelikes. Uh, one is a bit of an oldie in the genre now which is Children of Mortar and I've been playing that on the Switch and it's excellent. It does. It basically does the same thing that Hades does, which is it's got the roguelike sort of set up in in how you're sort of doing runs and trying to get further and 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 all of that stuff. But then the story is basically served up to you in between runs, and then you you might stumble across bits and bobs of of lore or story moments uh, during runs. And the more you play, the stronger you get. The more the story develops. And I'm going to happily continue to do runs of that for as, as long as it takes for me to to beat the main game. And the other roguelike I've been playing is brand new. And it's the, well, it's what's being called the first AAA roguelike game. And that is Returnal on the PS5. I'm interested to hear about this. It is goodness me. It is absolutely goodness me. It is, I mean, it is got to be the most technically stunning game I've played so far. I've never seen so many active particle effects on the screen (laughs) at one time before. It never drops a frame. It's got lovely, subtle HD rumble and adaptive trigger feedback. It's, it's the most next-gen game I've played so far. Uh, I mean, I haven't played a huge amount of it. There's quite a lot to get my head around, but, I mean, it is essentially like every other roguelike in its setup. You know, I just need to sort of work out what the equivalents are in this game of, like, treasure rooms and shops and buffs and perks. And it doesn't have, like, like with Isaac, it is proper permadeath. You do new runs. You don't sort of gain anything after doing a run apart from, you know, ticking off that you've done it. But you do get like upgrades like in Dead Cells or in Hades um, or or, uh, Children of Mortar where you can then invest in permanent upgrades and not just, you know, rely on your skills getting better. So, again, I need to get my head around those and sort of uh, how to make the most of them and how to, you know, focus, focus my runs a bit better. But it's great. It's great to play, even though I'm I'm pretty crap at it at the moment. Uh, It just looks so gosh darn good when you're even when you're doing badly. It's just oh, it's amazing. It's interesting that it's a it's a third person shooter, which it doesn't have lock on like a lot of the third person games I, I usually play. So it is very much the same as a first person shooter on a console, you know, which I've said before, I really don't like. But there's something about having the camera a bit back from your character. You get that wider field of view. Uh, it makes it just makes a real difference to how I feel about playing this one. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to play a lot more of it. Um, I mean with the zero loading times on the PS5 as well, it is, uh, it's, yeah, you're just, you're straight back in, straight back in. And it's so impressive because it's not just random patterns of flat 2D rooms that it's generating. It's full 3D environments that, fe- I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite something. I mentioned this earlier. My main activity has just been going on a massive Mortal Kombat bender, <laughs> which started with me uh, renting the new film when it came out. I rented it on iTunes. Like the way, way, way it works with like renting stuff is, is you pay the money and then you have 48 hours to watch it and you can watch it as many times as you want. So I watched it twice. 
it is so much fun. Like the fighting in it is incredible. There's some amazing martial artists in the cast, including one of the guys from the Raid playing Sub Zero, and uh, Hiroyuki Sanada playing Scorpion, who's just always brilliant to watch. The weird thing is, though, even though it is obviously obviously a significantly better film than like the 1995 Mortal Kombat, and and obviously like the Annihilation sequel. It still sort of gave me the same experience. I f- like I still felt the same watching it as I did with the original. Yeah. Or so I thought, because I then decided to buy the original and watch that. And whoo, oh, I'd forgotten just how bad it is. <laughs> but it is still a lot of fun. It's it's still a lot of fun. But this but this new one, even though it is a bit more realistic, I guess if you're going to say that, it's still got all of the video game nods in there. There's references to, uh, they say, oh, aren't you the guy that beat Eddie Tobias? The little <laughs> throwaway thing. And all of the recognisable, well, a lot of recognisable characters there, including an allusion to Noob Cybot, which was really, really nice. It was very, very cool to see. It was great to see some proper fatalities rendered in real life, which, I mean... I mean, you know, they they were the effects were massively lacking in the original, and and they are so graphic. In this. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it doesn't it doesn't reinvent the wheel in terms of like Mortal Kombat films. The, the one downside that people have been saying about it, which I didn't mind that much, is that you don't actually get to a Mortal Kombat tournament. Which the thing is, the director knows that fighting is the main thing in this film like that's that's what people are coming to see that's what they want to see it doesn't matter if that's framed within a tournament setup or not there's still shitloads of horrendously brutal fighting and it's, it's great and um yeah but i'd love i mean there's a tease there's a tease at the end uh, for for a sequel and i'd love to see a sequel it's funny having spoken about movie sequels in uh, uh in the recent bonus episode we did and obviously like weighed a lot of criticism against most movie sequels just making everything bigger which which doesn't you know necessarily work but that is exactly what i want in a sequel to this film i want more characters i want more fatalities more brutalities throwing some babalities as well just to really push the bbfc <laughs> over the edge more friendships yeah why not why not the, uh, <laughs> the, the only slight let in the film was that raiden was like i, I don't know I feel like Raiden's meant to be this just enormous presence and the guy playing him, it kind of looked like a like a 12-year-old dressed up as Raiden for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's so much more powerful than all these other fighters surrounding him, he looks like he's the one who's going to get his lunch money stolen. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, if, if I get a chance to see it in the cinemas, I'll happily pay to see it again because I imagine it'll be so much fun on the big screen. So this set me off uh, on a bit of a, you know, I remember Minty saying before about how sometimes you just sit and watch like the cinematics from Mortal Kombat games um, on YouTube because they're just films. Like they're just, they're they're fantastic. And I thought, oh, seeing as Mortal Kombat 11 has got this ultimate release on PS5, I thought I'd better pick it up and give it a go. Of course. And I picked it up. I played through the entire main story and the entire story of the DLC, which is fantastic as well. And I said before about how like I never really liked fighting games until Super Smash Brothers. And that's that's true in a lot of senses. But then also I forgot that I really enjoyed the Mortal Kombat games. Like I had Mortal Kombat 2 on the Master System. <laughs> It was an absolute, it was ridiculous that we managed to convince my mum and dad to buy that for us when we were so young. And I mean, obviously, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching some footage of it and it's not photorealistic like it is in my memory, uh, but it's still, it, it was, it, that was really good fun. And I picked up Deadly Alliance on the GameCube and that was really good fun. And Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate is fucking brilliant. It plays so, so well. Like, it's just... It's so it's such a streamlined experience in terms of just how you fight. It's so easy to see what your basic combos are and then just just play around with those and then experiment with some other things and all of this sort of stuff. And the story through the like through the main story mode is fantastic. Like yeah, there's about I think there's about four hours of cutscenes, you know, and then it gives you the control when it comes to a fight, and it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because like the DLC is in, included on the disc. That continues the story like straight on from the end of the main the main game, but you play as the villain's point of view, and then through some like time travelly multiple timeline stuff, which is brilliantly done, you then go back and interfere in the events from the main story, but from like the villain's point of view essentially. But crucially, when it comes to the final moments of this story, you are then given the choice to either side with the people you sided with in the main game 
or the the villains or you know whichever way around you choose to see them because that is something that i said really irked me when i played the last of us part two yeah was the fact that it shows you both sides and then goes there you go then bye whereas this like (laughs) actually like it was great to get that payoff and make that choice at the end of like you know eight or nine hours of sort of gameplay so what you're saying is mortal kombat 11 is better than the last of us 2 definitely just just so listeners are aware yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) it made me feel valued by the developers you know it's like it was making a game for me rather than something that was potentially a bit self-indulgent it's fantastic there's loads of extra content loads of extra fighters i've got like joker and terminator and rambo and spawn robocop i think (laughs) is in there i mean there's so much stuff to do and so much stuff to unlock uh it's it's insane like there's a whole like exploration like 3d third person exploration area called the crypt where you can basically go and discover secrets and find things and open chests and unlock more things and it's there's a whole big thing of that i mean i'm never gonna 100 percent this game but it has been what can only be described as a very pleasant surprise <laughs> that I've enjoyed a fighting game as much as I have. Wow. Like reading some of the reviews of it, it's so great to see it actually be hailed as, you know, the best sort of classic fighting game that's been made because, yeah, it feels like it. And yeah, I know you, you picked it up, didn't you, Chris, when you got your PS5? It's another one like um, The Pathless. It's just been on the shelf. Like I, I was really, yeah. it wasn't one I was drawn to just crack open and play because like you, I'm, I'm not a big fighting game person. Mm. So it's kind of been there. I was kind of thinking like I could trade it in while it's still got a bit of value, but it's, it's still sat there. I can see it just in my eye line at the moment. <laughs> so maybe on your glowing recommendation, I'll, I'll add it to the list to actually install mm. and try sometime soon. And that's been my week. It's just been bloody, <laughs> bloody great. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What have you played in this last week? I'll, uh, I'll get some updates out of the way first, uh, following on from last week. Oh, it's not fucking Genshin. No, wait. Okay, wait. Good. Colin Poo farting. Me and George's PlayStation 2 sim son yeah. is doing very well. Excellent. <laughs> he's uh, he's moved into a larger house now with a Mohawk sporting trainee stuntman named Bingo. And the two are, are very fond of one another. They're sharing a vibrating heart-shaped love bed to save on the cost of needing two bedrooms, which is doing wonders for the pair's collective wealth and disposable income. So uh, that's that's how Colin's doing at the moment. Good. He needs to try and find a suitor, I think, is our, is our next goal. Mm-hmm. So so we need to start throwing a few more parties to to meet the locals, uh, and then maybe he'll he'll find a new person <laughs> to, to cohabit with. Still playing Genshin Impact, still good, still free. I've done some timed event missions recently, which is probably the first time I've felt a bit underleveled for for what I was being asked to do. But even that, it felt like something that I could have overcome with another hour's play, as opposed to something where the only answer would be to to buy XP items or roll for new characters. So you know, I'm I'm a few I'm several weeks in now. I'm still feeling good. I still haven't paid a penny, so really enjoying that. Like you mentioned, I haven't picked up Pokemon Snap yet. I did intend to, to try and be part of the the Pokemon Polaroid conversation, but <laughs> I, I just haven't made the time to grab it. Hopefully this week, I'll get a chance after work one day to, to pop into town and pick up a copy. Yeah. So next week, maybe, I'll have a few views on, on what I think of the little little lads and ladettes <laughs> flopping around the environment. And I, I, was all, I was also quite keen to pick up Returnal. You know, you've kind of sold me on it as well as... It's just nice to hear people you know have an opinion on something. It, it really helps yeah, sometimes, definitely. especially because, you know, Returnal is an eye-watering price of £70 sterling. Is it really? And even if you're kind of shopping around online, you can save a fiver maybe. It's 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 very expensive. And because I didn't know how I'd fare with like, you know, the, there's this whole discourse around its difficulty and save system and everything at the moment. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd just wait a few weeks, see if it would come down just a touch. And if someone else like you could say, yeah, it's good. And then that, that might be the thing that pushes me. So again, maybe in a week or two, uh, I'll be able to tell you a bit more about that and how I feel about that. I, I'd love I'd love it if you could get it. And yeah. then we can sort of compare notes and sort of try and sort of discover things together as we go, yeah. go along. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid looking at stuff online for it to be like, these are the buffs you need to get. These are the permanent updates. Yeah. This is how you get this. These are the guns that you really want, you know, sort of stuff. I want to kind of figure it all out yeah. there myself. But um, I want to figure it out by myself, but not alone. <laughs> yeah, well... If I get a chance, like I said, it is on the list. It's, you know, it's the first big release on the PS5 almost since launch. Mm. Certainly the first exclusive since since that launch window. So I would I would like to play it, if nothing else, that I could just see the big flashy particle effects. Going from one end of the spectrum to the other, 
if that's the most visually impressive game. The main game I've been playing this week has been the first title in the Earth Defense Force series on the PlayStation 2. Right. Now, I I haven't mentioned this game since its third entry. That was EDF 2017 appeared on my own list about yeah. a million years ago. I, I can't believe how long we've been doing this podcast now. <laughs> but, you know, in, in revisiting some old PlayStation 2 titles recently alongside The Sims, I popped this in and I've had a real blast. Like the the game was was localized as Monster Attack back then, so it wasn't the first one to be called Earth Defense Force. But the the contents of the game are basically identical to later entries. It's still a game about killing an infinite stream of of giant ants and robots and UFOs and and kaiju style Godzilla esque monster things. It's it's still a game that has all of its longevity built around forcing you to play through each mission on each difficulty to strengthen your character via dropped loot. It's still a game that was designed around the idea that having more happening on screen, regardless of the impact of frame rate of performance, was far more important than it being a consistent experience. And I, I still really get a kick out of that because it's such a deliberate choice that you know someone was sat down and they're like, well, we can we can feasibly render maybe 20 of these big ants on screen and the game will be all right. <laughs> And then the the developers went, yeah, but what about a hundred? <laughs> and then as soon as you know, the, the game runs at probably less than five frames a second at times. Jesus. But it, it's done with such just a deliberateness that it, it, they couldn't have made that choice by accident. <laughs> it's very much like we think this is more fun. It's about scale. It's about kind of you know just things happening. It's like the Dynasty Warriors stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean. I've I've liked this game as well because Monster Attack is it's significantly shorter than later entries in in the Earth Defense franchise. There's only 25 missions here. Each one has five difficulties, and at the moment I'm about two thirds of the way through the third difficulty. But I am starting to hit a wall now, which means I need to go back and kind of grind for for health upgrades on earlier missions and stuff before I move on. But by comparison, like EDF, I think four, the first one on the PlayStation Five that I played. It had 150 stages and still five difficulty settings. <laughs> and I, I never had the oomph to really start that game properly because as much as I loved the core gameplay of it, I just thought, this is about a thousand hours of shooting ants. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's still a, quite a shallow experience and I didn't think that could sustain me for that long. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really ropey budget title, but it is a really good laugh. Some of the later games are coming out for the Switch soon. They're, they're getting ports uh, in the near future. And I'm I'm really looking forward to to them appearing because when I used to play on the Vita, it really fit that kind of portable pick up and play factor again, and that'll be much more convenient than booting up the PS2 every time I want to I want to play a level. <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that. I have also, and these these are only kind of brief thoughts. Finally made a start on the Messenger after your generous donation, Jonathan. Oh, fantastic! And excellent. This is, as you have said several times, a very good game. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah now, we, we've reached the sort of cultural saturation point with with 8-bit throwbacks but it's it's really heartening when developers choose to lean on the aesthetics of the past but properly consider how to make it a modern experience yeah and you know you've got games like shovel knight straddled that line brilliantly probably the best example in that kind of like neo retro type thing but from the first few stages of the messenger the game nails it as well it really does really does do it well yeah and as much as on the surface it looks like it's going to be a pure Ninja Gaiden pastiche, you very quickly realise it's probably closer to a Metroidvania with like the item gating and hidden areas. I, I get the impression there's going to be the ability to backtrack later on, as I've already spotted, like sections I can't physically access with the tools at my disposable uh, disposal. I've, I've found branching paths, that sort of thing. Like, for instance, when I started the second stage, my curiosity got the better of me and I dropped down through a bridge that could have resulted in death but instead took me to the catacombs. <laughs> so a separate area of the game. Ah. And all of that, it, it just feels really good to play. <laughs> it's just really good to play. And it uses that lovely mechanic where I've definitely seen it elsewhere in another game, but I can't recall where. But basically you jump and you can gain a double jump by striking like an enemy or a projectile or something when you're in midair. Yes. And in, in certain sections where loot is hidden, like just out of reach, I really like how you need to consider your approach through the things on screen to kind of top up your jumps to reach that higher ground. Yeah. Because it makes what is a movement mechanic a, a puzzle element as well. And and that's really clever. I, I think when games nail that kind of multiple use thing for one of their mechanics, it, it, it just shows like a real kind of assured design. You mentioned, and Minty mentioned last week as well, that the game's writing as well is very strong. Yeah. 
I wasn't sure at the start if it's kind of self-aware fourth wall acknowledging script was going to get a bit tired, but within like 10 minutes, it finds its own voice properly. The other thing which I'm sad about coming to this game late, I really want the soundtrack on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, its current price is eye-popping. We're talking like 200 quid. Yeah. And I, I think I've missed the boat on that one. <laughs> but the game itself, I, I'm looking forward to playing more. Uh, certainly it's it's been really fun to pick up something that's probably just outside of the type of stuff I'd usually play but I have really appreciated your little nudge to to give it a go so thank you again you're very very welcome I'm so so glad that you both have have got it and are playing it and are enjoying it and uh, yeah I look forward to talking talking about it more the the further we get so so why are we here it's Sunday night (laughs) but you know what I came here to listen to Minty talk about his sixth favorite video game of all time and and I'm all out of milk. So, <laughs> oh, over nice. to you, Minty. <laughs> Tell us what your sixth favourite video game of all time is. So, today we're talking about a Nintendo game. <gasps> yeah. What a twist. Ah. To give a bit of context, we have a game that took the world by storm when it came up. Ooh. Scooped up so many Game of the Year awards. Ooh. Remains one of the highest rated games of all time. Lauded. And remembered fondly all over. That's the first game in this series. Fantastic adventure game in a series which I've talked about at length on this very podcast. So what then does this sequel in particular have that sets it apart from the rest of the series? Well, we have established that the game it follows is incredible and doesn't deviate from that path too much. It's an already solid foundation, but it does take everything a step further. It looks better. It plays better. It has movement tech that harks back to the genesis of the series. It's a little harder. And also that it has the tried and true game setting that Nintendo loves to wheel out. A light world and a dark world. <gasps> Each yeah. held in uneasy flux, one directly affecting the other. A dark world born of great cataclysm filled with evil creatures who want only to destroy and conquer. Add into the mix an evil doppelganger, a remnant of your past haunting you, and you have one of the greatest adventure games ever committed to disc, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic. What did you think I was going to say? Oh, oh no, no, that, was, that was the only game that fit that bill, isn't it, Minty? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that I thought you were talking about the game that I assumed was your number one. Uh-huh. So most of us have played uh, the first Metroid Prime. We love it. It's great. It's fantastic. It's a a real showcase of the Metroid franchise, that particular IP, the character of Samus Aran, and just what an an incredibly effective bounty hunter she is, and just how fun it is to play somebody who is just good at their job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Metroid Prime 2 is just, for me, it's so much better. It's a better world. It's more alive with consequences. One of the things that I thought uh, was missing, um, looking back at Metroid Prime, the first game, is you're answering this distress call following the uh, following the destruction of the planet, nearly, by the Leviathan Seeds, which we learn in the third game are sort of just offshoots of the of the planet antagonist phase mm. which is the source of the corrupting element phazon which uh, has horrible mutagenic properties and lays waste to many ecosystems all across the galaxy but in the first metroid prime game um it's more about uh, these uh, most of the levels just seem uh, untouched by the the destructive impact of the leviathan seed which is probably due to the fact that the chozo the uh, the race that lived on that planet managed to successfully seal away the corrupting influence of Phazon. And it was only through the actions of the space pirates who uh, wanted to exploit that mutagenic power for their own um, conquering ends that the Phazon did start to seep through into the, atmos- into, the, into the environment. But when you reach the planet Aether in Metroid Prime 2, you have a planet that has been quite demonstrably ravaged by uh, the effect of the Leviathan seed and the poison it seeps out. The Aegon Wastes uh, were once uh, incredibly 
lush jungles. Uh, the the Torvus bog was uh, essentially flooded by the impact of the enormous Leviathan Sea plunging into the planet. The race that lives on Aether, the Luminoth, have, but for one solitary sentinel, have all been sealed away, waiting for a hero to come and rid them of not only the destructive um, power of Phazon, but also the entire dark world that the impact created by splitting the planetary energy in two. The stakes are incredibly high. <laughs> in the first game, you're very alone, which is one of the things that um, is, is a hallmark of the Metroid series. And then in number three, you've got uh, a whole host of, um, of supporting characters, like the Galactic Federation, the other bounty hunters. Metroid Prime 2 sits right in the middle it doesn't bombard you with people that you have to listen to and, oh, God, I care about this person now. You just got a couple of holograms uh, lamenting uh, that they couldn't save their people. You have one representative from this entire race who you have to go back to every now and then and check in with to make sure he's doing all right. And that's it. That, that's all you need. Just one single person to say, right, this is who I'm doing this for. This is who I'm saving. That's what I I, I I I love having somebody to save in a game. I, I'm not I'm not really bothered about oh stopping a world-ending threat. I mean that's all good too. You just want one pound. But who am I doing it for? Who am I doing it for? That's that's what I want to know. And I'm doing it for Umos. For Mimos. Umos. That was his name. Every time. This is the first 3D game in the series that saw the return of the screw attack. Ah yes. Quite a quite an iconic piece of movement tech for Samus Aran, which is just jumping into the air, spinning around loads, and jumping off and like sort of bouncing off walls. It's great fun. It's really great fun, and it's a nice little callback to the two D games and I guess to things like Smash Brothers and Smash Brothers Melee, which was which had the screw attack as one of her attacks. It was nice to see it realised in a in a three D environment. You could do wall jumps. Or you could use the screw attack to jump vast, vast chasms, which taunted you with uh, their lack of grappling hook points. So you're there thinking, oh, maybe I'll have to come back to this later. And after I've you know, found a switch that lowers the grapple uh, points, so I can swing across that later. No, no, you're just going to get the screw attack, which just turns anything that it hits into leather <laughs> and gives you basically five double jumps. On top of the double jump you already have. Oh, it's so satisfying when you nail the nail the timing of it. That said, something I do get from this game is a strange sense of confidence. Right, and bear with me on this. Strange sense of confidence that seemed missing from the first game. Right, I'm sure Nintendo and Retro Studios had great faith in the franchise and the game that they were working on, but some of the design aspects were a bit safe. In the first game, like they, they, they drew parallels with Super Metroid. It seems more like a soft reboot of that game, or at least I remember this one on the SNES from nine years ago type deal. Like it, was, it was a long time between the titles. But then, of course, uh, the first Metroid Prime went on to be one of the best games ever made, and the fondness with which people received the uh, simultaneously released Metroid Fusion, I think, gave Nintendo license to make something a little, a little bolder, a little more... Uh, self-assured in Metroid Prime 2 and I'm pretty sure the SAX from Fusion inspired or at least influenced uh, Dark Samus a little as well which I'm glad for like that that panicky predation of the SAX gives way to just the the glimpsed malevolence of Dark Samus who's so wrapped up in its phase on guzzling mission that for the most part it just ignores <laughs> you outside of a few boss battles but that arc is wrapped up in the third game so let's talk about some of the other bosses as is Samus Aran's way, her arsenal is stripped away at the beginning of the game, amalgamated into the physiologies of the Ing, the antagonist race of this game. Uh, they're shapeshifters. They incorporate all of your weapons in, and movements, and they, they provide a nice range of uh, varied mini-boss battles as you gather your arsenal back. The Spider Guardian crawls across walls, the Jump Guardian uh, jumps, <laughs> the Power Bomb gives the Power Bomb Guardian so much power that it can only be killed by crushing it with some sort of massive winch. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them take place in Dark Aether, 
the version of the planet that's just sort of been shifted a couple of uh, centimeters to the left, where the corrosive atmosphere inflates the sense of urgency by effectively making every battle timed. So you've got variety there, but is there quality? I'll strap in for something that's been said by Jonathan in a previous episode, our boss fight special. Yeah. Each biome of planet Aether has an energy controller that you need to return the light of Aether to from dark Aether, which, as I said, took half of the uh, of the planet's energy when the planet was split. MacGuffins of planetary importance. Each energy controller is guarded by some sort of dark creature, totemic of each biome. The wasteland has you facing the Amorbis, a massive tainted sandworm. The Torvus Bog controller is guarded by the Chica, a monstrous towering mosquito type thing. And by the time you get to the Sanctuary Fortress, an incredibly detailed technological marvel of a level with the best music in the series for me. You're wise to the game's design. Like each boss area is a massive room with some huge thing in it that to begin with is just, is just there. A bit of world-building detail, perhaps, which then later comes to life or forms part of the boss itself, like a, a massive sphere that the uh, that the Amorbis attaches itself to for some reason, or the huge chrysalis that the Chica lava comes out of. But in the Sanctuary Fortress, you pass through a giant arena in the Light World version and see platforms, cranes. It's a construction area, but there's nothing being built. It's just an eerie expanse of a room that does not bode well for later, TM. Once you return to the same area in the Dark World, you see what was being built and got shunted over to Dark Aether in Quadraxis, an enormous sentry drone that's been shifted into Dark Aether by the Leviathan Seed, gone rogue, and is now extremely hostile. It's got about 42 phases in the boss fight, shifting between light form and dark form, detaching its head, the head becoming corrupted. It just never ends, just like the methods that you need to disable each piece. It's a varied and involving fight, and it's just excellent. If you want to hear Jonathan talk about Quadraxis as well, then why not sign up to the Patreon and hear what he has to say about it? It's a fantastic boss fight, and it really does it justice to have two people who love it so much talk about it and bring their own thoughts to it. But anyway, the best thing for me about Quadraxis is it has a deep implied lore. Like, it's, it's a huge robot created to protect Sanctuary Fortress. So how big are the threats? And how terrible are they that even in this massive modular creation filled with bombs and lasers, not even that could stand against them? And it all culminates as you head to the Sky Temple, you defeat uh, the Emperor Ing, which then destroys Dark Aether as you bring back the Sky Temple's light energy, and all the all the other Luminoff wake up, and you, you walk out into the into the blazing sun, and you give him a merry wave as you head off onto your next mission. Oh, it's just wonderful! It's such instead of just watching a big old monster die, you see all these things coming out of their stasis pods. With, uh, with hope for the future, it's, it just ends on a it just ends on a really positive note. I really really like it, and that's why it's my number six favorite video game of all time, Metroid Prime Two Echoes. Ooh. Play it. <laughs> You'll be glad you did. This Ooh. this series every day. I'd say honestly, every day at the moment, there's either a rumor saying it'll be on the Switch tomorrow, or there's a rumor saying <laughs> developers say it will never ever be relaunched and redeveloped. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just I'm it's hot and cold. To buy a Wii U again, like just find find a cheap old Wii U and yeah. just just get it off the eShop again if that's if that if that still exists. <sighs> I I have a real feeling though that I have a real feeling that if I if I commit to getting a copy. It will be the next day, or, or within the week, that Nintendo have like a surprise well, then for the sake Metroid of the rest Direct. Of us, fucking do it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah my, my fifty pound outlay is going to save the world. Take that one for the team. <laughs> yeah, God, I'd fucking reimburse you in a heartbeat. <laughs> God, I just I want to play them, but I I don't want to play it on the Wii. <laughs> it's like a, I just I just want to play it on the Switch. I want to get through these games that you both love so much on the Switch. Can someone please make that happen out there? Retro, whatever you're doing, just give the code to someone. Let's sort this problem out. Yeah. Marvellous. I think that I've only played the game once. 
I think. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I got it. I played it. I loved it. I found it quite stressful because of the, the sort of the dark ether side of the world that damaged you uh, when, when you were in it. I found that quite, quite stressful. I also found it quite stressful that your sort of your light and dark beam weapons had ammo. Ammo, yeah, yeah. Because the, the thing that I love most about the Metroid games is that sense of exploration that you get. And I felt too scared to do it, I think, because I was like, oh, God, what if I, what if I die? What if I run out of ammo? What, what then? What then? But I played the game all the way to the end, and I loved it. And I would, I think, I'd be more, I'd be more excited to play Prime Two again than play Prime Three for the first time in a uh, release of the trilogy because I never played the third one, which is mental, which is mental, really. But madness again. I, I got the, I got the, I got the trilogy on the eShop on um, or whatever it was, the Nintendo Wii U shop, the Wii U shop, the Wii A shop <laughs> from Metroid Three to Echoes. <laughs> 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 for the for the Metro Prime trilogy, and uh, I just I didn't want to play it with the motion controls, so I didn't play didn't play it. But not a day goes by that I don't think about how much I want to. God damn it! <laughs> so there we have it. That was Minty's sixth favorite video game of all time, and and it was Metroid Prime Two. Echoes. 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 <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or indeed any of my horrendous jokes, then please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and engage with us on ours. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash r3cents. Chat to us on there. Tell us what you thought of these games. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us what you love. Tell us uh, who you love. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can find us on other social media platforms as well. We have a YouTube channel with our incredible video content on there there's literally hard tens of video of videos on there of different things and you can search for our three cents on youtube and find that we're on instagram at o3c podcast and we sometimes twitch live uh on uh twitch at <laughs> o3c podcast <laughs> or you can take us to task on our individual opinions and personalities on a personal basis and a spiritual basis on twitter i'm jonathan dunn I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please do check out our Patreon page. Which, I mean, we've told you in quite some detail in this episode the amazing things that are just in store for you if you do. So do head over to patreon.com slash our three cents and have a look at that if you fancy it. Do it. And join us next time when I will be telling you what my sixth favourite video game of all time is. And if you can remember back to what I said, I set this game up as being the greatest handheld game of all time. Oh, yes. So if you want to find out what that is, yeah. then you know what to do. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. In this quarter, on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics Plus snacks, movie fighters We watch movies and beat them up Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What Mad Universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network.